0: The Punk Show, on The Zone at 91.3. Hello. Hello. Oh, that sounds better already. Good. Uh, thank you for taking the time, Glenn. This is really, this is really great. I've been doing this little thank radio you show. you your interest. Well, of course. Um, you know, just on a quick note, I mean, I've done this show for about eight years and interviewed all kinds of people. I never thought in my wildest dreams I would be speaking to an actual Sex Pistol, so this is very um, cool for me.
1: It was a long time ago, but yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> Um, I, I never thought my wildest dreams I'd be talking to somebody in Canada 43 years <laughs> after the event, still being called an ex-experts. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, it's funny, old life. Yeah.
0: Isn't it, though? And just to let you know, this is obviously, we're not on the radio right now. This is pre-recorded for my show. And my show also is uncensored, even when it goes on the air. So you don't need to worry about what you
1: say. Well, then I'm going to say it up. Well, fuck me. <laughs>
0: I thought we'd start with sort of what's going on right now um and i just learned a couple of days ago that uh you did like a one-off uh, reunion show with uh the rich kids at the the awards show
1: oh the people rock thing! yeah it was um yeah it was just for fun and um it just kind of happened actually everybody was together well everybody apart from poor old steve knew the guitarist is no longer with us mm-hmm. Everybody was in the same place at the same time. I was going to be playing there anyway with a house band they have, Urban Voodoo Machine, they are jolly good. And then Midge was in town and I asked him to do it and then Rusty was around and... I'd actually been doing some recording with a guy called Neil X who was in ZZ Sputnik and is a mate of mine who's a pretty good guitarist He was a Rich Kids fan. And I said, well, look, we've got this show, but we need a guitarist. He said, well, I know the song. So I said, come on then. It's, it just came together and we did it. It was fun. It was, I like doing things for fun. Some of these things you do these days, they're like youth clubs for old people. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of um, yeah, there you go. But you see all your mates there and, you know, you can compare, who has got the, the best sort of hairline still and not for grey and all that lot.
0: Well, speaking of, yeah. speaking of hair, I remember Sig Sig Sputnik. I remember those, uh, those 80s uh, hits they had there. Those guys looked crazy.
1: Yeah, well Neil was the one with the, the biggest quiff in the world, it's, it's not quite so big now, but every time we do do a gig together, which we do occasionally, it's, it's kind of, I always feel my quiff comes off second best to his So, <laughs> there you
0: go what is Midge up to these days I don't, is Ultravox well, still Midge, a thing
1: Midge is pretty busy he, he, Midge does well he's, he's carved out a good niche career for himself he's always going to Germany he, he did something in America and then it's quite a nice theatre I don't know if you've heard of it called the London Palladium uh,
0: in yes
1: Oxford Circus and I'd done the show with Midge no it was fun blah blah blah, blah. Midge was good we all got on good I don't see him very often and then the next day I was going into town and I was walking into Soho past the London Palladium and they got a big, one of those big flashing light pictures, you know, like those TV LED screens. Mid-year, mm-hmm. October, London Palladium, Mid-year, the Visage and the Sounds of the 80s. So he's doing all right for himself. <laughs> he hadn't mentioned it. <laughs> so he keeps his keeps his cards close to his chest. They're good for him. He's a class actor, Mitch.
0: That's great. Um, so you, you're... Latest album, I guess it's a little bit uh it's a few months old now, is uh good to go. It's a great record, by the way, uh Glenn. I Thank really you. really like it a lot. You got some touring coming up. It looks like you're in um, Sweden starting next week.
1: Yeah, Sweden. And then I've got um getting on for about a dozen shows now in um around the UK. L's coming over. He's gonna he's coming to London while I'm in Sweden. He's gonna stay with me and he's going to drive my son mad for a few days to get over his jet lag and then we start rehearsing and then we're off touring around the UK in May we're doing that um, and then I'm coming to the States I've got three just solo shows just by myself um, in June and then also I'm going to do some writing with Elk because now I'm working towards the next starting to work towards the next record and then um, uh, what else? Uh, and then in July we're going to Japan and doing the Fuji Festival and some club shows there. Oh, no, cool! So yeah, it's beginning to get a bit um a bit more like it kind of thing. But
0: um, well, I've been
1: pretty busy this year already. I went to South America. Yeah. End of January, February, and played with some friends. Well, I went to Brazil and played with this guy called Souple. You might have heard of. Um, he sort of looks a bit like Billy Idol, but Brazilian, and he had a great band with his brother called. The the Brothers of Brazil, and his brother's the most fantastic sort of bossa nova guitarist with a classical guitar which he pu- pu- plugs into a fuzz box and super sings but also plays bossa nova punk rock crumbs. So that's something to behold. And I'd sang on a track on his album, and he invited me over for the launch of the album. So I'd, I did a few songs with him, and then I went on to Argentina and played with some. Friends down there who were the Sex Pistols of Argentina back in the 80s called Los Violadores. And they're oh. really good. They learn their songs and they're not just punk rockers. They're like really pretty good musicians. So that was fun. I even went to Montevideo, which is in Paraguay, I think. It was Paraguay or Uruguay. Right. Was- and it was good because every time I've been to South America, you go out for a walk down near Recoleta and there's a big doctor and there's a big sign up and it says, um, Montevideo, two and a quarter hours by hydrofoil. I thought, one day I'll do that. And I did. We got, we got the hydrofoil. But the only thing is, is all the windows are frosted out and you can't see out. So you go right across the river plate. and You think you might see where they sank the Bismarck. And you can't look out the window. So It was a bit annoying a month. I got up at six o'clock in the morning to get to seven o'clock. Ferry. But there you go. We can't win them all. And then, weekend before last, I was involved with this thing called PMX which is in Palestine, and that was an eye-opener. Oh, I wow. Know, to do that. and played with some Palestinian musicians um, who were really quite Western, like hip-hop and, and rap and stuff like that, and then a few rock bands and a few traditional things. With, they got these fantastic instruments that look like a big lute, which is called an oud, which makes a real kind of... Wang bang doodle kind of sound. So, yeah, it was very interesting, but they are living under the kosh over there. And the most lovely people I've ever met. They were fantastic. And it, then got to go to Jerusalem and Bethlehem, but you're going in and out of checkpoints all the time. It must be bizarre. Right? No. So, I'm still thinking what I think about it, to be honest.
0: Yeah, um, you know, I've seen like there's sort of a couple of documentaries floating around. I think Larry David, the comedian, went to Palestine and. Uh, when you see that, it's funny when in the Western world or whatever, and you hear about the news, you kind of picture this much different scenario. But it's they're you know these people are culturally aware, and they've got they've got a music scene, and they've got a really cool thing going on, even though they're living in this strange sort of oppressed life, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean they are really under the cosh, you know. And everywhere there's all these sort of not quite legal settlements with this massive thirty-foot wall with razor wire on top of it. All round it, and we got taken to Bethlehem, and but to the Palestinian side. And there's a hotel there called the Wall, not the Walled Off, but the Walled Off Hotel, which was set up by the artist Banksy. It's right opposite the wall. Oh yeah. It's a fantastic old building, really nice hotel inside. We just went there for coffee, and they got something on. But the view out the window is, is the wall, and there's a little card saying, "Well, welcome to our lovely hotel." And he said, "But as you can see, other people have got bigger problems than you complaining about how hard the pillows are." <laughs> 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 it's kind of quite funny, really. Wow. But, yeah, but it's, it's uh, I don't know. I don't know. So but it, that that was set up. There's a guy called Mike Goldschmidt who, um, I, was a neighbour, and I went last year. I went to Korea and got involved in a concert called the DMZ or DMZ concert. Um, right on the border of North and South Korea, right
0: the de- um, demilitarized zone.
1: Yeah, right. which again was an eye opener. I met some fantastic musicians there from South Korea, but yeah, it was a kind of a hands across the kind of sea thing. I mean, if you got a minute or two, it's quite funny. You go through the demilitarized zone, which nobody's allowed to live in mm-hmm. because there's all unexploded bombs there. But they can go there in the morning and farm, and have to come out at sunset, and then. We went to a farmer's market that was opposite the um, the old Labour Party headquarters where the North Koreans tortured and killed people. And had somebody, there was a dance troupe, and I thought, oh, no. And it was very moving in the end. But over the road, there's a car park, and they've got a farmer's market selling honey from the demilitarized zone. It, it was just wow. all a bit weird. And then you go to the actual border, and there's a funny kind of... it looks like but it turns out it was it's an artificial one because it was built as an anti-tank trap and there's some steps going up and i said oh can you see is that to see north korea and they said well you can see north korea if you go up there but the real reason is is because nobody lives there it's like natural habitat and there's a bird sanctuary where there's a, a rare breed of ibis bird thrives there so people go to the demilitarized zone between north and south korea when you think they're worrying about getting newt, looking at a rare species of bird, it's really kind of a bit odd. You know, it sort of does your head in a bit, but wow. kind of, um, you know, it just makes you think things aren't the way we're told. So I like doing things like that for that very reason.
0: Well, of course, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you've, been, you've been very busy lately going to these amazing places. That's cool. Yeah,
1: and I'm, I'm very fortunate because of what I did 43 years ago. But mm. People seem to think, so I've got a bit of a name to lend to these things. Of course. You know? but, so it's a bit of a calling card some ways. But then on the other end, sometimes, you know, you put a new record out people go it's something like the Sex Pistols. It's not supposed to be like the Sex Pistols. The Sex Pistols are like the Sex Pistols. It's supposed to be something a bit different somehow. Yeah. So, so there you go. So, do you, do you um,
0: find that you still run into that, really?
1: Yeah, a yeah. lot. A lot. Especially in England, you know, they're very kind of, ageist um right musically i think i'm gonna pigeonhole you now and then here i mean we're touring over here but what you're up against a lot over here is tribute bands Mm. tribute bands and like re re revival sort of 80s bands they're the people who are doing the business and it's like you know it's hard for me to get a look in although i do get a look in but you know some bands starting out it must be dreadful
0: I went to uh, Rebellion Fest last year for the first time in Blackpool.
1: Oh yeah, I did, I played that few years back. What did you think? Uh,
0: I, I loved it. I thought it was a very well run festival, and it was cool that it was all in one big indoor you know place with seven venues. Yeah, the, and all the that. Winter
1: Gardens. They yeah, call it. yeah, that's
0: right. Yeah. Um, I had a great time, but it was interesting too, like what you're just mentioning there, uh, the tribute bands and stuff. But also, I mean, in Britain, it's much different. Like they're really into the, the original bands and of all of you know all the punk bands that came out in the seventies and eighties, but some of these guys have what, one original member or sometimes in in fact no original members of these bands left. Oh well, yeah. Yeah. You
1: know. yeah, but mind you the drifters were doing that for many years, weren't they? All the ink spots. <laughs> yeah, good point. I tell you what I think is the funniest thing about rebellion. I mean there's all these punks, you know, like looking all horrible, you know, or great or whatever you want to call it, like they out of their heads on snake bite you know I think you know what snakebite snake bite is it's like half a pint of lager with half a pint of cider in it Okay. Yeah. it's something about the mixture that makes you go bonkers right and they drink ten pints of that all day long and they're like yeah but if you go for a walk along the front to get a coffee or something there's all these sort of fat northern girls dressed as angels with all their undies hanging out <laughs> on a hen party and they're far worse than all the supposedly <laughs> horrible punks. It's, it's quite funny really um, there you go yeah, it was a,
0: it was a really interesting place for me. Like uh you you can see that Blackpool
1: um it's not the Côte Jour, right?
0: No, you can t- you can tell that it had a heyday at one point, but it feels like yeah. it's uh it's, it's it's long gone and you're right. Uh I I also noticed for some reason of the locals there a lot of um mothers yelling at their children. Every time I walked to the to the venue every morning, there'd be somebody like smacking their kid or telling "Shut up." I don't know. It was a wow, weird vibe.
1: I've got to learn somewhere, I think. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. funny old place, Blackpool.
0: Buckfast, that was the stuff they were drinking. Mind
1: you, have you ever been to Atlantic City? That's no. That's, that's a bit like that kind of thing. <laughs> right. We played at and stayed in the Trump Casino once. Oh, what a fucking dump that was.
0: Is that right? <laughs> yeah, really, you know.
1: Yeah. Still, there you go. Um, Glenn,
0: I do want to talk to you about. You know, I won't. Uh, I'm I mean, going try, try, hopefully, not to ask you all the same million things you've t- answered a thousand times, million times in your life. But um, did you see the 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 rotten going at uh, Marky Ramon thing at that movie okay, screening? Somebody
1: sent me that. Yeah, and yeah. I was pleased with Marky Ramon. That he said, "Where's Glenn Matlock, Where's Glenn Matlock? That's right. And and John, um, he's John. There's I don't know if you've heard him. Have, have you? Oh, you're in Canada. You must have heard of Dame Edna Everidge.
0: Absolutely, of course, yes.
1: You know he's got another character.
0: No, Barry Humphreys, right? That's his name?
1: Barry Humphreys. Yeah. But Barry Humphries has got another character called Celeste Patterson, who is supposedly the Australian cultural attaché. You know, it's a big <laughs> joke. Yeah. Watch John on that, and then watch a clip on YouTube of Les Patterson. Okay. Right. And then you'll have a funny evening. <laughs> There's a, in fact, if you can get it on YouTube, I don't know if you get the Michael Parkinson show over there, but I'm sure it's mm-hmm. on YouTube, but Michael Parkinson interviewing Les Patterson is a scream. Okay. I think John's kind of turned into that a little bit.
0: I'm, gonna, I'm writing this down because I'm going to check
1: it out later. But, you know, what John was saying, I've I, I just watched a bit of it, but he's, um, you know, he's got his take on things, and I've got my take on things, and I agree with him sometimes. He probably never agrees with me, but if I had done what he'd, I'd done, he wouldn't have done what he's done, because, you know, you need a good musical thing to hang his nutty lyrics on. <laughs> well, not nutty lyrics, but, you know, I mean, I think at one stage, J- John was the contemporary Jonathan Swift of punk rock, um, you know, so, but I don't think but I think he's a bit so low as Patterson these days.
0: That's very funny. Um I mean I'm gonna check that out. I mean it's uh at least he's passionate, you know, I mean and that's and good. If you do
1: check it out, yeah. you got my number, text me what you think when we finish. Yeah? Okay,
0: I will, absolutely. Um right. you, you know, and I know that it, it, again it's been talked to death about you leaving the sex pistols, how that all went down. There seems to be basically four different stories depending on who you speak to. Well, it's
1: a band.
0: There's four people in the band. There's always going to be four different stories. Sure. And I'm sure if Sid was still around, there'd be five stories, right? Yeah. Yeah. But um, my question about that, surrounding that, and maybe this is a weird question, but I'm curious sort of how that experience, regardless of how it all went down, because it was an odd thing, uh, like how that shaped you, because you were, you were quite a young man at that time, so how did that, how did that affect you or shape you going forward in your life? Did you know what I mean? Did it teach you something that you still...
1: Um, Carry with you? I don't know. know. Boy, you taught me, really. Um, I mean, the thing is, when I left the band, I was getting lots of shit. I didn't think I was being backed up by Stephen Paul, and I'd done a lot of the work. You know, the first three singles, not all me, but a lot of them were to do with me. And Mm -hmm. I thought, if you can't see that, you're idiots. And if you want, you know, there's some comedy show over here, and a bloke's in a pub, and somebody says something stupid... And a bloke says, well, if that's what you want, that's what's going to happen. And I thought, well, if you're going to get Sid in the band, if that's what you want, that's what's going to happen. And it fell apart with being quite quickly, you know, as a going concern there. Mm. But also, I was quite friends with one of the guys at EMI who came, went on to become a big record producer, a guy called Mike Thorne. He was effectively the junior A&R guy who signed the Sex Pistols. And he became a producer he produced... Painted Love by Soft Cell and loads of stuff for the Mm. Communards and Mink DeVille and Roger Daltrey and blah, blah, like that. But he was a friend and he said, Look, Glenn, I want to buy your car. I said, Who's paying? He said, Well, me and EMI. And he said, Listen, look, we know there's a problem and as a record company, we hope you sort it out. He said, But if you don't, we see you as the main tunesmith in the band and we'd be more than interested in anything that you come up with. I thought, shit, well, that's interesting. And that didn't mean I wanted to sign to EMI, although I I did end up signing to EMI. But as a young man who just turned 20, who was getting loads of shit, even though he was trying his hardest, you know, it was quite a good expression, more trouble than it's worth. And I walked and I thought, shit, you know, if EMI want to do that, Other people were thinking that, and I started putting the rich kids together. So I was really busy for a couple of years doing the rich kids thing, and we had quite a degree of success. But again, even when I was doing the rich kids, which I thought was good, and lots of people in retrospect think were good, um, at the time, everybody was going, well, you're not the Sex Pistols. You weren't supposed to be the fucking Sex Pistols. I deliberately got Mijur, who's a class act, but at the time was a teeny-bop idol, doing nothing, I got him out of a band that he was in called Slick who'd sort of kind of been and gone a bit by then, mm. to get him down to deliberately put the cat amongst the pigeons, you know, I did not want to get some old punk singer and be a second division Sex Pistols, yeah. and, I, and you know what we listened to all the time was um, you know, low and Heroes and Lust for Life and stuff, now the record don't sound like that, but I, I bet you a pound or a penny that we was the first band other than Bowie to put a harmonizer on the snare. Okay, yeah. You know, so just lit, just little things like that, and I got to work with Mick Ronson because of that. He was fantastic, and then one of the funniest blokes I've ever met. And all.
0: And you're on that uh, great Iggy Pop record, Soldier, as well.
1: Yeah, I mean it's not his best album, but it's some very interesting stuff on it. Well, I think there's yeah, there's
0: there's one of the I, look. I actually listened to it again, knowing that I was going to be talking to you, uh, and I hadn't heard it for a long time. And there's some great songs. And, and ambition, I believe, is the one you is one that you've.
1: Well, ambition, was, yeah. a song. that I... R- very roughly demoed for the Richards second album, which we never made in the end.
0: Oh, okay, cool.
1: Because Miju Musty sort of went off and wanted to become new romantics, and it wasn't my bag, and I broke the band up. Maybe it wasn't a good idea, but that's what happened. But then I got a call from Maggie Pop. so And he liked the song. I don't think he's ever done anybody else's lyric. You know, unless right. it's a Bo Diddley song or, or Louie Louie or something like that. Right. So I'm quite chuffed about that.
0: Absolutely, you should be. But also,
1: some mm-hmm. of the songs on the album, there's a song called Take Care of Me, mm-hmm. which I wrote the music for, and I had a, just a working title, Forget Me Not, which he liked. I said, you can't call the song after a flowery a riggy Iggy Pop. And he went, <laughs> okay, and he came up with Take Care of Me. And he had this girlfriend at the time who was German, and I think he wanted to split up with her, but her dad was a bit of a heavy-duty sort of criminal in Berlin, and Iggy was scared of her, scared of him. Mm-hmm. So he didn't want to kind of bump her. But there's a line in the song, he goes, International garbage man, I've decided that's what I am. I need somebody to pull me up because I'm sinking like crazy in my sauerkraut. Right? And I think (laughs) it's all to do with him. And when we went to Berlin, I did a a European tour with him. He was, um, you know, we all had hotels and he didn't have one because he was going to go and stay at his apartment, and she pissed off someone and taken the keys <laughs> and come <couldn't> get <laughs> It's quite funny, seeing, you know, you think, oh, Iggy Pop is this big rock star, and they've got the same kind of lives as the rest of us. Absolutely. Bit, bit of an eye-opener, you know. Um, did you meet Bowie during those days? Because that would have been... Is well, that, yeah, I did, actually. It yeah. was quite funny. They'd, I got to do the album. I don't know how long you want to go on for, but... I've I've had a coffee since I've been sitting here, so I might as well chat. If you're good, I'm good. I got to play with him because he made the New Values album. And the New Values album, the guy who played bass on the album was going to play second guitar on the turret, and they were short of the bass player. So his agent was a, my agent, John Giddens, who set up the Isle of Wight Festival, and he suggested me. So next thing, I'm playing with E. And it came in real handy because the Rick Stewart singer just. That. So I'm playing away and there's a song on that album called Billy is a Runaway, which is like all slap bass playing. Mm -hmm. And I'd never really done that before. And we was rehearsing in the morning and there was a break for a long lunch and I just stayed behind and practiced it and I just got it. And then Iggy came back from lunch with the door open with his mate. Now, who's his mate? David Bowie, right? Like my bass player, man. Mm -hmm. You know, and I thought, oh, shit, but I got it together. And he was great. He got up and he he, he actually sang some songs with us in the, in the rehearsal studio. And I met him a few times after that. He was a bit off about the Sex Pistols, but uh, I kind of reminded him of a couple of things where his microphones from that farewell show went. It came in quite handy on recording the Sex Pistols demos. That's right. I don't know. So there was a bit of a sparring match going on, but I thought he was great, and he was one of these people who was very enthusiastic about things and uh, very encouraging, and um, cool. I I met David Bowie a few times.
0: Yeah, that's very cool. Happy
1: about Um, that. Because I'm an ex-sex pistol, I suppose. Well, I mean,
0: that's the thing. Like You you sort of touched on this already. I mean, regardless of how everything sort of went down 40-plus years ago, That has opened so many doors for you. Just have just having that experience and being part of that, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, all the people I've got to meet over the years mainly are kind of quite proud of the fact they're not just Joe Blow who happens to play guitar. But you know, they're pretty cool kind of more left field musicians. You know that most people would respect. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm quite happy. Next month I'm playing. I've got a couple of my mates who are good. Chris Musto's playing drums. He's played with a good few people over the years. And the Chum. Jim Lowe produces a stereophonics. He's playing bass, and he's quite happy to play my bass lines. And Elfrit's coming over. But he's only going to come over and stay in my spare bedroom. You know, it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of quite funny, really. But I'm, I'm proud of that. So down the road, yeah, there you go.
0: And uh, you were in
1: the faces for, for a little while. A little bit, yeah. I thought I'd hit that then. And I thought it was going to go on longer. <laughs> he wasn't, Rod Stewart didn't do it, but um, it was Ronnie Wood, Ian McLagan, Kenny Jones and Mick Hupnell right sang. He was very good, actually. He got a lot of stick when it was announced, but he did it anyway. And he was great because he was a great blues soul singer with a great rock band. And that's what they were with Rod Stewart and it still was as well. But the only thing was Ronnie Wood got a phone call from the Rolling Stones to go back onto and You can't really argue with that, you know.
0: Sort of have to say yes to that. Well, anyway. that
1: was my all time favourite band. That was the band that I I used to stand in front of the mirror when I was like 14, 15 and hadn't learned to play the guitar yet, pretending I was in them, you know. Yeah, well. And then we didn't do that many shows, but the last show we did, we headlined the Fuji Festival in Japan in front of 50,000 people. and I'm like, yeah. You know, and I remembered standing in front of the mirror when I was on that stage. It was fantastic.
0: Uh, well, uh, and uh, all the every book I've read about the Sex Pistols, I've read Steve Jones's book, and I've read jo- uh, Johnny Rotten's, and I've and your book. Um, the The Faces it sounds pretty much like everybody sort of cites them as, as really kind of an influence on the Sex Pistols. I mean, that maybe, well, they were, yeah, they
1: were. That's, that's what got me the gig when I met Stephen Paul, and I told him I played bass because they were looking for somebody. They said, "Who's your favorite band?" I said, "The Faces." They said, "Oh, us too." They you know, come down. And then not long after that, I went to see a Ronnie Wood show he played with the New Barbarians. And um, this was funny, this, and he had Willie Weeks and Andy Newmark and me and McGlagan, and Keith Richards was playing with them. It was a place in Kilburn. And I had cheap tickets. So me and my girlfriend at the time, and we went up how many balconies, you know, up the stairs, and it, we went too far because it was a bit dark because they weren't all open. And all of a sudden... There was a bit of a kerfuffle out of the darkness, and there was Steve and Paul and a couple of their mates, and who I'd only just met, coming down. And basically, they climbed over the roof and bumped in. <laughs> so <laughs> I thought, oh, they're these kind of guys. This is quite interesting. So that was kind of quite funny. Uh,
0: yeah. I've got a couple of more questions, and I'll let you go. We've been talking for a while here. I know you've got your your day to uh, go here. Um, tell me about what. Tell me about the stacks pistols.
1: Oh, I got this not me that's not you i thought it was you no there was a band called the tech pistols There was a guy called phil rambo who's one of your fellow c- canadian compatriots okay he, he had a band like a bar band i think i got up with him once he had a really good drummer he had the bloke from the attractions and forget his name thomas somebody thomas not bruce thomas he played drums. Yeah, he just used. Uh, yeah, but no, I wouldn't call the band I was in the Something Pistols.
0: <laughs> well, I, I, I thought I, I was. Don't you. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I, that was my bad research. I was uh, just checking like discographies, and it said I'm sure it said that you were. It was like a single that was part of a compilation or something, and it said Stax Pistols with Glenn Matlock. And
1: I. Oh, hang on a second. Okay. I might have done something with a guy called John Tibbin, the American guy who puts out funny records. Yeah, when you see Like like a Don Covey tribute record and something else, and I played on some things, as other people did. And I think he might have one called One Track, which was, I don't know, an Al Green cover or something.
0: Ah, okay, so this was a... a... It
1: might have been that, but do you know what? That's not right at the top of my CD.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. I uh, won't we'll, we'll, we'll continue. It was called Brace Yourself, a tribute to Otis Blackwell.
1: Oh, well there you go. Yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe that was it. And Otis Blackwell, I remember singing backing vocals on a track that Frank we did Whisper. But no, Breathless. Mm-hmm. But, um I don't know if it's an Otis Blackwell song, but um, Charlie Lewis did it, and Frank Black's had sung the lead vocal, and I did backing vocals. But I never met Frank Black. He did call me up, but I was out, and when I called him up, he was out, so I'd be left out of that.
0: Are you a collector of anything? Or do you collect records? Do you have uh, do you have you held on to memorabilia over your career
1: and stuff I've like that? I got things in a box. Yeah, you know, um, I actually put a book out a few years but I had a big box that I was rifling through, and my mate come there, and he said, "What well, you got do? I said, "There's all this stuff from the filthy, filthy Luca tour. You know, and it's like backstage passes and photographs and cigarette packets and subway tickets from Japan and all mm. that." why well, do make a good book? Yeah, absolutely. And I said, "Well, do you know what? If you organise it, we'll do a book, and then I can put the box in the attic and just have the book on the side, so it's not taking up all the room." So we did <laughs> that, and that's called Glenn Matlock's Filthy Luca, Filthy Luca Photo File. <laughs> That's quite interesting. I like that. If you like that kind of thing. But the only thing was, I took most of the pictures. I mean, there's some great pictures of me, Steve, and Paul. We got invited to, we didn't tell John. The promoter in Japan took us to a proper Ryokan, you know, where you'll get dressed up in kimonos and sleep on tatami matins and oh. on the floor. And it was great. It was in Sapporo and it was hot springs. And I took all these pictures, but they were not on an iPhone because it was before then. And they're kind of all right, but it was on one of those disposable cameras. But when I got them developed, I didn't realize that Steve Jones, at the bottom of the p- picture, had opened his kimono and his old man's hanging out in most of them. All. <laughs> so there you go.
0: I was just about to say I would love to see these photos, but now I'm not sure
1: if I would. I think he put a sticker over that bit, you know. <laughs>
0: Um, What did you think of uh, Malcolm's son and his uh, big public burning of all the Sex Pistols stuff?
1: Well, I don't believe it was worth all the money he said it was. Yeah, Um, I agree with what he was trying to do was get attention to global warming and fracking and Mm -hmm. water rights and, and people buying up. You know, the, the what do you call it, the water aquifer in South America, you know, you know, like big, like the Bush family. Yeah, all that's fine and draw attention to that. But it was nothing to do with punk rock apart from the fact that his dad was Malcolm McLaren. Right. And, you know, burning Sex Pistols memorabilia on a raft in the Thames when nobody could really check what he had anyway on the same day that Anarchy in the UK came out. I thought it was a bit cheeky, to be honest, and I told him. Yeah. Um, he wanted me to get involved in it, and I didn't. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I'm not saying anything like that is sacrosanct, but I just thought, no.
0: Well, it's not sacrosanct, but it's, um, you know, this is our new history. You know what I mean? It's like it's like burning it's like burning museum artifacts, really. I mean, I know, we're not talking hundreds of years old, but one day they'll be hundreds of years old, and we one should. One day they'll be
1: hundreds of years old. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. okay things that are hundreds of years old, when they're hundreds of years old, they'll be even more hundreds of years old, so <laughs> <laughs> you'll never win, yeah, but there you go. That's true.
0: Okay, I'm going to wrap this up, but I do have one quick thing to ask oh, you about. I'm boring you? No, no, not at all. I just... Um, no, we can continue. But uh, I do actually have somebody who needs to be in this particular studio, but I can't believe that I would ever want to cut off you, so I don't know. <laughs> well, right. I I've got a lot of questions. It. I do want to ask. I, I, okay, so the your your book. Um, I I don't have a physical copy of it right now. And I and when I found out on Monday, um, that I was um that this was confirmed and I was interviewing you, I was like desperately trying to find a a copy of it. Well, do you
1: know what you can do? You can go online. and yeah. Buy it as a an ebook, and you can also go online, and and they do this print on demand service, and you can still buy it. Um, oh. So uh, essential books or Rocket eighty eight books. Okay. Just look it up. Then you can get it from them, and it's not that expensive, and it's a jolly good read.
0: Absolutely. Well, um, there was two things I was going to say about it. First of all, I, ra- I literally went to every, uh, pretty much every bookstore that we have here in Victoria, and there's several. And uh, um, you know, when there's somebody behind the counter who's like 22 years old, uh, bookstore employee, and they don't know their music history, they give you a funny look when you ask if they- if you have a book called "I Was a Teenage Sex Pistol." Right. And they I have no imagine. idea what you're talking about. Um, but also the Pledge Music. What happened to Pledge Music? Because I went on your. Th- I was going to buy the signed copy. I thought well, this would be cool to have. And then it said Pledge well, I'll, Music I'll, is like down or something.
1: i have gone under and yeah. they owe me many thousands of pounds. Oh dear. Sorry and, to bring it up. Um, and they owe lots of people many thousands of pounds. And I had no idea. Even more than that. So the bloke's trying to rescue her. But it's one of those things of overextending. A company, I mean if you went to their offices they had quite special offices in the middle of London and um somebody's overextended it when they come and stop. So I I did quite well out of that pledge campaign. Yeah. And there was people all round and I wasn't that into it at first and I thought, Oh it's just a bit cheesy and then when I had to fulfil all the orders I thought, hang hey, no, on, I got all I got orders from Canada and Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, you know, Szechuan province, Iceland, India, China, Russia, both in America, all round Europe, New Zealand, South America. I thought, oh, actually, this is quite handy. So I, I spent a week filling everything out and sending it off. Never got fucking paid. Wow. Got it. So yeah, well, that sucks. Paid is another matter, you know. I didn't even know well, that. I didn't even realize they were that they'd yeah, gone under. Yeah, no, there's been kind of stuff in Music Week about it and all that lot. Okay. And, um, I feel a bit sorry for the guy who set it up because it's not him. It's some American company come in and we're going to do all this and do all that. You know, and they make you think that all your money is ring fenced, and it fucking ain't. Mm. So... Um, and I was very annoyed about it. I've calmed down about it now. Yeah,
0: well, I apologize for bringing it up because I didn't, I didn't even realize it.
1: No, no, that. you know, yeah. but then just with my... As well as selling the, the new record, I was using it as a shop front for selling older records and T-shirts and the book as well. You know, in that yeah. way, I was always directing people, you know, you want an autograph copy, just get it through pleasure and I'll sign it and send it off to you. Right. Which I hadn't done that now. You know, so now I've got to think of another way of doing it and lots of other people have. But, you know, there's bands... Kind of up until it was closed down quite recently, and they were still taking orders. There was bands who kind of people have pledged for them to make a new album. They booked studio time on account of the fact they've got this money coming in and maybe put a deposit on it. Then the money hasn't come through and they're stuck. You mm-hmm. know, and the studio's lost the studio time. The bands have lost it. It's a kind of like a real big knock-on effect. Absolutely. So,
0: well, hopefully you'll be able to. Uh... Offer some of that stuff up in a different, uh, on a different site or different different way because I would like to uh, to get one. Um, I mean, I know I can do the ebook thing, but I, I'm a guy that likes. I mean, I like. I'm a collector of stuff, so I'd like to get like a signed, actual, proper copy. Well,
1: what and, I am about to do, I've got a website up, glennmatlock.co.uk. You might want to mention to your sure. um, listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, there was a link to pledge on that, but soon I'm going to get a, a, a shop front you know, an e-shop front set, so you'll be able to do things like that on it.
0: Um, okay, before I let you go here, um, any plans to get to my neck of the woods here, like Vancouver or up to anywhere in Canada? I know that the well, U.S. thing... Well, it's not
1: common knowledge at the moment. I've got these three shows coming up in the States, yeah. solo shows, and then there is on hold a tour in September, which has got some Canadian dates in it. I can't remember where, but it all depends how well is free shows go. And if I do that, I um, would like to bring a band with Earl involved right. as well. Um, so, yes, there is. You know, and then since the show's been... I've got a mate of mine who runs this club in in Hamilton, in Ontario, um, Lou... What's his name? Lou, I forget his surname. Got a club called the St. Hollywood. He said, oh, you know, come and play here. You know, and a few other people have been doing that. So... If I can tie it all together, I'd love to. Because I've, you know, I've got this record out, sort of. Yeah. And I want, I want to tour it properly, you know.
0: Of course. So, well, if you do manage to get over to the west side of Canada and play Vancouver, then we should try to convince you to jump on a ferry and come to my little town on the island here. It's, it's very beautiful. You, I think, you'd like. It.
1: I don't need much convincing, as long as it's not too cold. <laughs> the on... coldest place I've ever been to was um, about eight years ago. I went to Edmonton. Oh yeah. And it was like minus 25 degrees <laughs> centigrade. But I was quite impressed with the fact that cars have um, plugs hanging out of the, the radiator grill. That's right. I said, what's that for? And I said, oh, so we can plug it in and they could start the car from the other side of the street.
0: That's right.
1: They don't even do that in Sweden. No. I told them that. I said, do you want to do what they do in Canada? <laughs> they said, oh, what do they do in Canada? <laughs> I said, "But I can start the car from the other side of the street." Oh, we must get onto to Volvo. <laughs> there you go.
0: Well, where I live, it's very mild. We do get a little bit of snow every winter, but certainly not Edmonton-type cold. So you'll be all right.
1: Um, yeah. I did a tour a couple of years back with Clem Burke and Hugh Cornwall. It was like a double-header thing. Yeah. And we we drove from um, down Edmonton or somewhere to Vancouver. Yes. And stopped on the way at a place called Moose Jaw. I don't know if you've <laughs> ever been to Moose Jaw. Oh, There's I've been to Moose Jaw, there. yes. But on the way, we stopped at a diner, all right, and it was all like eggs and bacon and no vegetables. And I said, have you got any vegetables? I mean, you know, my body was screaming out for some vitamins. <laughs> and they went, we'll go and look. And they came back and they said, we've got one tomato. tomato. <laughs> I said, well, how big is it? And I said, well, it's like a kind of, a, you know, one of those, tomatoes. I said, Well how many have you got? One. She went, it's five dollars. And I said, I'll have it. And everybody sat around watching me eat this tomato in the middle of the frozen wastes of um, Canada. So there you go. But then when we got to Vancouver, it was quite sort of unseasonably warm. And I found out they got a microclimate there. So good for you. It's true. Yeah.
0: And we've got plenty of tomatoes and they're less than five dollars each.
1: Yeah. Okay. But there you go.
0: Glenn, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, it was fun. And, uh, and I'm going to listen to, or I'm going to YouTube that uh, Barry Humphreys character that you were talking about, because I can't wait yeah, to see that.
1: Yeah, but Liz Patterson. Yeah. Um, and hopefully you play a few tracks from the, the record. Yeah. And if you played them once, it doesn't mean you can't play them twice. I'm no. proud of this record.
0: It's got no, 100%. So real quick, what I do what, usually with these interviews is I put the whole thing up online for people to listen to if they want, and then in, in a couple of weeks I will uh, sort of make a, my regular show that goes on the air with all the music, I will grab, like, three or four nice clips from the interview and then surround that with music. So we'll obviously play your, your solo stuff, new and old, as well as uh, some rich kids and some pistols and everything. Yeah, good man. Okay. Um, all right, fella. Okay, have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye. See you later. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Punk Show. Every Friday night at midnight with Jason Lennon.